Nehemiah chapter 4, as we continue walking our way through a study of this book, we've talked for several weeks about chapters 1 through 3 and how Nehemiah was God's chosen and anointed leader to lead a great charge back in his hometown of Jerusalem. But if there's ever been a true statement, it echoes what Laura is saying. That where there is progress, there will be opposition. Anyone with a strong vision will attract a critic. Anytime there's movement, you can bank on some friction. So what's a leader to do just when the vision starts going well, just when the charge is being led and suddenly it's not as easy as you thought? Well, Nehemiah faced just that situation in chapter four. I want to take you right there. What did Nehemiah really face? Look at me at four things he faced. Nehemiah four, verse one. Now, it came about that when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious very angry, and he mocked the Jews. You ought to circle the words furious and angry, and then also the word mocked. Look at verse 2. Now, and he spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria. The wealthy men referred to those who had the, the political clout. They were the ones who depended on the commerce, the trade, the economic status of Samaria. He said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices can they really finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was near him, and he said, Even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. Ridicule was the first opposition Nehemiah faced from his enemies. Nah, 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 nah. That wall, man, it would even hold a fox. And after all, all you've got to work with is just dust and old bricks and, and stone. How can you really build a wall that will protect your city? Ridicule. Second thing he faced, verse 7. Now it came about when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on. Interesting phrase there, isn't it? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never stop me. That's what I like to say. Nehemiah kept on building, didn't he? Well, they gathered some more people, Arabs, Ammonites, Ashdodites. They said, okay, the wall's still being built. And that the breaches began to be closed, they were very angry. Circle the word angry. And all of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. Well, if, they, if we can't stop them by making fun of them with ridicule, then we'll just start an all-out war. We'll attack them. The next few verses describe how that really got to the children of Israel. We're going to talk more specifically about these instances. But I'm trying to give you an overview of the opposition right now. If ridicule doesn't work, let's just physically start a war against them. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now it came about when it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah, to Geshem the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall. Isn't that interesting? 
in the face of ridicule, in the face of war, the work kept going. When I heard about that, that no breach remained in it, verse 1 of chapter 6, although at the time I had not set up the doors and the gates, well, Sanballat and Geshem sent a message to me saying, Come, Nehemiah, let us meet together at Shepherim in the plain of Ono. Isn't it just such a, a tone of, of negotiation in this, isn't there? Okay, we couldn't make fun of them and stop them. And they thwarted our war plans, so why don't we just try a few negotiations? Let's talk. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Isn't that a great answer? Hey, I'm all for your little conferences. Go ahead and have your meetings. But you know what? Don't, I'm not part of them because I'm doing a great work. They had one more last effort. Look at verse 10 of chapter 6. And I entered the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined at home. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. And let us close the doors to the temple, for they're coming to kill you, Nehemiah. And they're coming to kill you at night. But I said, should a man like me flee? And could one such as I go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And then I perceived that surely God had not sent him. But he uttered his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He was hired for this reason, that I might become frightened and act accordingly in sin, so that they might have an evil to report about me, bring reproach. You know what they were trying to do? They were trying to trap Nehemiah, get him to commit a sin. And then they say, oh, Nehemiah, you can't live. Look what you did. You ran to the temple. You hid. You violated one of God's commands. Hey, that's wrong. So you shouldn't really be the leader. And the work would stop. Four things they tried to do. Ridicule the work. Ridicule the people. Physical violence threaten them. Start a war. Trick them with negotiations. Hey, let's just talk about it. And then trying to entrap Nehemiah. In any case, their goal was to stop the work. Let me just talk to you about one thing. Their real opposition was not the words. The war. Their real opposition was the fact that these were enemies of God and they did not want the work to continue. Because it came from a spirit of anger, fear, and jealousy. Let me show you something. How many times do we notice in chapters 4 and 6 that because they were angry, chapter 4, verse 1, look there. When they heard about the progress, they were angry. Chapter 4, verse 7, when they heard about it, they were angry. They conspired to come and fight. You see, it's anger and fear and jealousy that produce Things that look like opposition. Sanballat, Tobiah, the enemies, they were worried that if Jerusalem was rebuilt, if the walls were constructed, and Jerusalem once again became a mighty city, what's going to happen to us? And so they began to oppose the work of God. They really weren't concerned about Nehemiah. They weren't really concerned about the children of Israel. They were worried about God's people because they knew about the past, didn't they? They knew how the Israelites had conquered cities, came in and, and uh, conquered the land. Look at 6, 15 and 16 with me. Let me show you what happened. After all of this, uh, these oppositions, still the work went on. Verse 15 and 16. So the wall was completed on the 25th of the month, Elul, in 52 days. And it came about when our enemies heard of it, and all the nations surrounding us saw it, 
They lost their confidence, for they recognized this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. The very thing they were worried about is exactly what happened. Because they knew, listen, if this gets built and God's people are revived, we're in trouble. Let me show you on a map exactly what I'm talking about. Can I show you real quickly? If you'll notice this map here, you see the gray section? That was the original way the 12 tribes were divided. That was actually all of the land they were supposed to have. It's also known as the Fertile Crescent. All of that land there, just north of the Sinai Desert, was the promised land to Israel. When, the two, when, the, when Israel split and became a northern and southern kingdom, you see the, the tan section? That became the northern kingdom. The yellow section became, the, became Judah. Now, we know the northern section split up gradually, and all ten tribes just basically dispersed. So the two that were left in the southern kingdom is where Nehemiah returned to rebuild the walls. Now, watch this. I'm going to show you something. In Philistia, up there in Samaria, um, further south, of course, here in Egypt, there's some other places. This was a great route for commerce and trade. And with Jerusalem at a low level, with Jerusalem not able to really protect its city and, and involve in economic commerce, then other cities and other countries had plenty of opportunity to make a buck and to be strong. But if Jerusalem were to recover... And God's people were to once again be who they were called to be. What do you think is going to happen to all the land that was originally promised to Abraham? They'd take it all back. Do you see why all the folks around them were scared? They're thinking, man, if Nehemiah's work is really done in that little dot in the yellow space, if the walls are really rebuilt, who knows what's next? Because they knew what you know. They knew what God had originally promised. They knew which the land was actually Abraham's. They were scared. I want to say something to you. That's why opposition comes. To stop the work of God. You see, I want to be honest with you about a couple of things. You and I are not near as important as you think. The devil just gets to God through you and me. He's really mad at the Almighty One. But since he knows he cannot get to God, he says, well, I'll just work on those little human beings for a while. And I'll oppose them. I'll defeat them. I'll do whatever I can to make sure that whatever God's doing won't happen through them. Satan's not really after you as much as he's trying to get to God through you. What was Nehemiah's response? Let me show you the things he said. Three things he said. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6. Look what he said. Look at the response here to the, first, uh, to the ridicule. We built the wall. The whole wall was going together. We didn't stop. Now, next week I'm going to come back. And I'm going to walk you through some of these prayers that Nehemiah prayed. I'm going to walk you through some of his bold. These are called imprecatory prayers. When you pray judgment upon people. Uh, it's going to be interesting next week. I'm not sure, I mean, that's just, we'll talk more next week. We're going to be a little more specific next week about how he approached these oppositions. But suffice it to say, at this point, this juncture, he didn't stop. Amen? He didn't say, oh, let's soothe all the feelings of our workers who heard these terrible words. Let's take time to build their self-esteem back up. He just said, guys, we'll just keep on building. We're not coming down. And the wall was built.
Look at chapter 6. Actually, look at verse four, chapter 4, verse 21. So we carried on the work. Now, granted, they refined the plan a little bit, didn't they? They had to hold spears in one hand, a trowel in the other. They took breaks in different ways. They had to actually gather together and sleep in the city walls. They refined the plan, but they did not abandon the vision. They didn't say, well, you know what? They're going to come and fight us, so I guess we just have to quit the wall because we won't need anybody to attack us. I would hate to see a Jerusalem jet fighter, you know, get shot down by a, by a Babylonian, whatever, anti-aircraft missile or something. We better just not do anything of importance. Let's don't follow God's call because they may get mad and start a war. No, he carried on the work in spite of the opposition. Yes, he refined his plans. He moved strategically and wisely in what he did. But he didn't stop working. Look at chapter 6. Verse 3. He said, I cannot come down. He actually responded to them this time. He said, listen, you tried to make fun of us. You tried to start a war against us. Now you want to meet with me. Listen, I'm not going to meet with you. I don't have time to deal with you when I'm doing a great work for God. And Nehemiah could make those comments for one simple reason. I want to make this very clear. He knew that he was involved in a work of God. Now put your thinking caps on even more than you have already and, and walk with me for a few minutes. This is the litmus test of whether or not what you're involved in is God's work. Can it be stopped? I asked my wife this week, Colleen, our administrator, Bob, we just kind of talked. Is there any record of a true work of God that was stopped in, the work, in his work? Any record of God's works being stopped? We couldn't locate one. Now, if you know of one, see me afterwards. You say, well, Todd, I know several folks who, man, they were stopped. King Saul. You're right. There are people all through the word of God that were stopped. And they lost the privilege of being part of God's work. But God's work marched on. And this brings me back to a very sobering thought. That when I'm faced with opposition... To a true and genuine work of God. I want to say to you. If I let it stop me. I'm the loser. The work of God will continue on. I just want to be a part of it. Now, I don't want to separate myself. And eliminate myself. From a true work of God. All because I chose to give in to opposition. Because sooner or later the work's going to march on. God will accomplish His purposes. Let me say something to you. That's true in His church, isn't it? Not even the gates of hell will stop His church. You say, well, Todd, there are lots of folks, lots of preachers who have fallen. There are churches who close up their doors. There are people who, their church is not doing anything for God. You're right. But the church universal, God's body, has always had a remnant and will march on. And not even the gates of hell will stop God's redemptive work across this globe. Amen? And those who fall away, those who choose to be part of it, it's their loss. Opposition stopped them. It did not stop the work of God. And I think Satan knows that. I think Satan knows that when everything is said and done, he ends up not in second place, but in last place. And his goal is to say, you know what? I'm going to take everybody I can down with me. 
And so he deceives and blinds the minds of those who don't, who don't believe, like St. Christians says. And then those who are believers, he opposes and threatens and deceives and detours and delays you so that you may not be a part, perhaps, of the work of God. And I think the attitude of Nehemiah is excellent. I cannot come down. I'm doing a wonderful work of God. How do you respond to opposition? And that's true even not only in churches, but in your own life. Let me just say this to you, and this will make you think for a while. If you're truly saved, if God's work, if God has entered your life and is doing a work in your life, that can't be stopped either. Did you know that? Say, oh, yes it can, Todd. You can backslide. You can just decide to get saved and get out of hell, and, and then that's it, and you can live how you want to live. Really? The Bible says in Philippians 1, 6 that what God has started, He will complete. Now, you can get mad at me. You can say, that doesn't match up to what I see in life. Well, maybe life's wrong, and maybe the Bible's right. Amen? The Bible says that what God starts, He will complete. And it even says in the Corinthian epistles that if you, perhaps are bringing shame and dishonor, that there are legitimate times in which God will, forgive me now, take you out to save the Spirit. I'm not sure what all that means, but I'll I'll tell you this, that genuine believers, God will finish His work one way or the other. Now, you can accept the Bible... Or you can try to make it match up with life. I'll tell you what we say in this church. This book rules. And it teaches one thing. God's work will always be completed. It will not be stopped. That's the team I want to be on. Amen? The devil wants to stop you. He wants to oppose you. He wants to make you quit. Are you going to let him? Nehemiah said, I cannot come down. Now, I've got to be honest with you. This is nothing new for the Jews. Let me run through some scriptures with you real quickly. The Jews had a tendency to want to go back a lot. Exodus chapter 14. And you just want to jot these down and read them later. You'll be surprised how true they ring with Nehemiah's situation. Exodus 14. They just come out of Egypt. They were free. You would think, Carl, if they were free, they would be able to look anything in the face and say, I'm not going back to Egypt. They no sooner came to the Red Sea, Pharaoh's, marching, uh, Pharaoh's army's marching after him, and most of the Israelites said, Moses, what would you bring us out here for? Let's go back. It's amazing, isn't it? How quickly we forget how bad it was when we faced with the littlest opposition. Moses, you brought us here to die. Let's go back to Egypt. At least we had food. It was comfortable. And God said, Exodus 14, Moses, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord. God parted the waters, the people passed through in dry land, and the Egyptians came after him, and then he just drowned them all. Exodus um, 17, I believe, is the next one. Is that right? Yeah, Exodus 17. They're wandering on their way to the promised land. They get hungry. Now, this is not, this is before they actually get to the promised land, so they're just kind of making the trek. They're hungry, they're thirsty. They thought about how great it was in Egypt. You know, we worked our little tails off, but at least we had food. Moses, we can't even get a little bread from you, buddy. We can't get a little water. What's up? Let's go back to Egypt. And again, as the leader, Moses says, listen, we can't go back. God revives his people, manna. God took care of them. Numbers 14. 
just before the promised land. The spies checked out Jericho. Out of 12 spies, only two had the courage to say, we can take him. Ten of them said, Moses, these guys are massive. They're huge. We'll never beat them. Let's just go back to Egypt. I mean, throughout the wandering, throughout Moses' leadership, he had a consistent problem. People wanting to go back to bondage, wanting to go back to slavery. And Moses had to say consistently, listen, don't go back. Don't go back. But it wasn't just Moses. Galatians was written by Paul to a a group of Christians who were being tempted to go back to Judaism. The gospel of grace has always had its enemies. You know that, right? And it always will have its enemies. They were called Judaizers in Paul's day. Folks who said, listen, you can't really be saved by grace. It's not really free. There's not a God who will forgive you and then unconditionally love you once you start over. No way. you still got to do certain things to get God's acceptance. Circumcision or works of the law. There's just no way it can really be free. And Paul wrote, look at Galatians 5. This is the verse I want you to read. I love this verse because... Uh, some things in my life that just really uh, motivate me. Galatians 5.1. I love this verse. I'm going to actually have you turn to it and read it with me out loud. Galatians 5.1. It was to these people who were tempted to go back to Judaism. Because it is safer there, by the way. You know that, don't you? So is Egypt. It's safer where it's comfortable. But you're not free, people. I mean, the prisoner may come out of jail and say, man, I can't get a job. People don't seem to trust me. I'll go back to jail. I know everybody there. I get three square meals a day and I'm I'm safe. Hey, but it's still jail. I don't want to go back. I don't want to come down. I want to be free to serve God. Amen. Look at Galatians 5.1. Paul says, and I imagine he was writing this with tears in his eyes and probably bearing, probably broke three or four pencil leads. This is an amazing verse. 5-1. Read it with me out loud. You may have a different version. That's okay. God understands everything. Read this out loud. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Paul said in essence, hey, don't go back to Egypt. And I want to say to everyone here, this church believes wholeheartedly One hundred percent in the gospel of grace. And we will not go back to a doctrine of performance. We'll not embrace or inherit a doctrine of works. God's grace completely saves to the uttermost. It is only by grace that you are saved. And if you struggle with that because you're performance driven, if you think, well, I've got a terrible life, I can't match up, or I've got a great life, I don't need that much grace. From God's perspective, we're all on the same level. And we're going to stand firm for the freedom in Christ. We're not going back. Hebrews 12, look there with me real quick. These Jewish Christians were being tempted to go back as well. If you, if you were in this situation in, um, as a Jewish Christian being persecuted for your faith, it would have been easier to go back. And that's why all of Hebrews, which I believe was written by, the, by Timothy, not Paul. All of Hebrews is about holding fast your profession of faith. You'll see that several times in Hebrews. Why? Because there's a better way. He's a better high priest. This is a better way. Better than what? 
better than the old way. What's the old way of offering sacrifices, of having to complete it by works, of having to do it the, the way of, of uh, performance? It's a better way. But with this way comes opposition. And that's the point of Hebrews. Yes, it is tough. It's difficult. But look at Hebrews 12. Look what he says in verses 1. Um, he says, we've got a great cloud of witnesses. So let us lay aside the encumbrance and the sin that entangled us. And let us run with endurance the race set before us. Don't give up. Look at Christ. He endured rejection. He was despised. He endured hostility, verse 3. But he stayed true. Look what it says then. Do not grow weary and do not lose heart. The devil wants to stop every one of you from participating in the work of God. Every one of you. The devil is opposing you. Understand that. He does not like you. He despises your Lord. And he is set to try to defeat, deceive, or delay God's work in your life. How are you going to respond to the opposition? Well, I suggest that we say with Nehemiah, I can't come down. And with Paul, I'm not going back. See, but Todd, it's safer in Egypt. It's more comfortable back uh, in Egypt. The wall is too high. I'm working too hard. They're making fun of me. It's safer on the ground. And after all, they want to meet with us, Todd. They may want to have a compromise and have a, an easy solution. We make them both win. Listen. When it's Satan opposing the word of God, I say that we all say, I'm not coming down and I'm not going back. Remember this very clearly, people. Satan's opposition always comes disguised. Always shows up disguised. And Scott, you don't think Satan comes up and says, Scott, I noticed your business really improved the last... Three or four years, and you've probably doubled your, your workload. You've hired more people. You're making an impact. I know you're, you're giving to God's kingdom. And, Scott, you're a model Christian businessman. So I'd like to know if I could really attack you and try to put you under and snuff you out. Is that okay? You know what Satan does? He slips in. A, and forgive me if I'm going to be a little... Uh, I'm not saying these folks are... Here I am saying forgive me again, Carrie. Don't forgive me. He slips in people that are bad employees. Want to undermine your work and your values. He brings in a job that maybe had a problem, and then suddenly Scott's looking at extra expense. He brings in maybe a, some sickness to your family. And suddenly Scott sits back and he says, Man, is this really worth it? He's been witnessing to some employees. He's a chance to invite them to church, or he's been witnessing on his own, or he has them over his house, it's even better, and he becomes friends with them. But instead of that, perhaps Satan tries to give him a bad attitude because of downturns in business or because of an employee messed up and it cost him some money. So, well, you're not going to my house anymore. You can just go to your own house. And if, if Satan can disguise his opposition and stop Scott, then he has stopped God's work in at least one person. It always shows up disguised. It did for Nehemiah, didn't it? 
They're making fun of us. No, they're not. They're trying to stop the work of God. They're going to start a war. No, they're not. They're trying to stop the work of God. Uh, they're manipulating us. They want to negotiate. No, they don't. They're trying to stop the work of God. Remember Jesus Christ in the wilderness? Hey, aren't you hungry, Jesus? I've got some nice bread here for you. But it looks like stones. But if you'll turn to bread, you can have all you eat. The buffet, man. It looks like food. But it was really a disguised opposition. Hey, jump off that mountain. The angel will catch you. Put him to the test, God. Show everybody that, man, you can fly. It's opposition disguised. And it comes to, de- to deceive you, to stop you, to delay the work of God in your life. Let's just bring it down home even more. Bob, you and Joni became Christians, what, 14 years ago or so? How long ago? 20 years ago. Bob became a Christian. Joni became a Christian. There was opposition in their family. Can I just get okay if I say that? There were tough times. I know there were times when they said, Joni, you're just not our daughter anymore. Isn't that true? There were times Bob, in his eradication mindset, uh, was giving out Bibles for Christmas gifts and doing amazing, and took a lot of heat for it. But in this 20-year period, about, and this is give or take a few, but about 14 folks have come to Christ out of their family. Now, what if Bob Jones said, oh, Bob, you made my, my parents mad. Slap on the wrist. You need to calm down. What if Bob said, Joni, you can't just go acting all nice to my family because you're a Christian. You've got to be the old way you were. What if he'd have said all that? These folks are getting upset at what's happening in our life. Listen, we just, gotta, you know, we just can't let God change us. We've got to stop this because people don't like it. You know what happened? God's work would have marched on. They'd have missed out. And 14 folks would have possibly missed out on the greatest thing in the world. And that's becoming a Christian. But you know what you did? You stayed true, didn't you? You revised your plans. She did tell Bob, you know, Bob, you may want to tone it down a little bit. She did tell him that at times. But they didn't abandon the vision. They didn't say, well, just give up on this Christianity stuff. And now, 14 years later, Satan is frustrated and thwarted because you didn't get into opposition. Brad's not here this morning. He's uh, in Colorado. Brad's back. Colleen can tell you this. He comes in the office a good bit. Brad's our youth pastor, our, our volunteer youth pastor right now. And he works with our, our leadership team there with the Warwick's and the Sears Ends and so forth. And right now, Brad's walking like an old man. I mean, he walks about this fast. And he just can't sit down. Natasha's laughing because she knows. He's, he's got surgery coming up Wednesday. And we could go break him off. And he said, I need to talk. He found a chair. And he, he sat down. I said, Brad, don't move. Your own church property, you make it sue us or something. You know, I was like laughing with it. And God, in my prayer time this morning, I was praying for Brad. And I said, and God just really seemed to speak to my spirit and say, don't let Brad quit. So we talked. And I said, Brad, I want to tell you something. I really think God wants me to tell you. I'll share with you. Uh, I know you're, going to be, you're, you're discouraged right now. And there's other things in his life going on. But I said, the, the last thing you need to do is quit. Brad's about a three-year-old Christian, maybe two and a half. His life is completely turned upside down for God. I said, Satan would love nothing more than to snuff your fire out. And I said, as your pastor and as your friend, I'm not being mean, but don't you dare quit. I know your back hurts. And you feel like you have no time left in the day. And you wonder how you get everything done. But I'm going to tell you something. Don't quit. Hang in there. Don't go back. Don't come down. 
He called me last night. We talked. He's more encouraged. He's out there with Emily for a couple of days. That's why he's more encouraged, probably. But he is. And I encouraged him last night. I said, Brad, remember, we'll get through this. Surgery will happen. We'll get you back better. Don't let Satan stop you. There's people in our church, and they're here this morning, who are new Christians. And the folks around them don't get it. They're like, hey, what's happened in your life? Should they quit? Should they go back? Should they come down? No. In our talks with them, I encourage them, you know what? Love the folks who wonder what happened to you. But whatever you do, don't go back. Don't come down off the wall. Bethany Cooper's here this morning. There's no way to... Nobody understands that, okay? It doesn't make any sense. But what do you do? Do you go back? Do you say, well, this God thing is just a joke? No, you, Satan comes disguised, Bethany. Elaine, Steve, he comes disguised. And he'll tear at the very core of your family to try to stop the work of God in your life. You know, somebody messing with my kids, I want to kick him in the teeth. You can mess with me, but don't mess with my kids, you know. When I think about that, you know, I want to just take Satan, I'm sure Stephen Lane, same way, with righteous indignation and kick him right in the teeth. He always shows up disguised. What you and I can't do is go back or come down. We've got to persevere. So how do you do that? Let me show you one quick verse as we close. It's in the book of James. Will you turn over there briefly? The book of James. Let me show you this verse in James 1, 3, and 4. It comes right after Hebrews, so you should be a page or two near it. James 1, 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Well, that doesn't make sense, James. Here's why you should consider it joy. Because the testing of your faith produces endurance. And if you'll let endurance have its perfect result, then you'll be perfect and complete. You'll be mature, not lacking anything. Can I say to you, the word endurance there is also translated patience. Patience comes from two Greek words. The word remain and the word under. In a very literal way, here's what James is saying. When things get tough, stay put. Remain under the pressure, because it's the pressure. It's perhaps the opposition that really makes you grow up. You see, we're a lot like watermelon seeds. You ever put pressure on a watermelon seed? And it does what? Don't be a watermelon seed. Instead, obey James 1, 3, and 4. Stay put. Yeah, it's pressure. But there's nothing like a little pressure to bring out the best in people. Read this out loud with me, would you? Our action point for today. Here we go. Ready? When facing disguised opposition, don't act like a watermelon seed and squirm your way out of the pressure. Persevere. Stay put. Don't give up. Come down or go back. I will not come down and I will not go back. Yesterday, Bethany had her final game of basketball. I coached Bethany's team. We have a great time. It's third grade girls. We have a, it's 
you know, a lot of fun in my life. And we had our final game, and it's the game we played yesterday was against the first team we played in the season. Now, I know this is a simple, trite illustration about third-grade girls' basketball. The score is usually like 8-6, to six, okay? But it proves, Bart, you should not amen over in that corner on that, okay? But it proves the point, and it taught me a lesson. We lost to that team in the first game of the year, I think, like 28-2. to two. I mean, they, they slaughtered us. Uh, we learned a couple of plays in our practice time. We showed up at the game, and they were running picks, double picks at the same time. This is third-grade girls. Tim, you coach girls softball. I mean... I was thinking we just kind of all heard around, here, 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 you know, and shoot when you could. They were running double picks, calling plays based on numbers and colors. And I left that game thinking, man, I've really let our team down. So we worked for the next seven weeks to try to beat this final team. I didn't tell the girls that. Until last Tuesday at practice, I said, now listen, we were about five and I think we were four and three. And I said, um, I want to win this last game. And I'm pretty competitive, aren't I? Bruce and Denise, where are they? I'm pretty competitive. And I said, I want to beat this last game. They beat us the first game bad. And I said, we're a lot better. We can beat them. So we started the game yesterday. And we were playing good balls. 14-14. First half was over. About a minute or so to go, it was 28-28. We had the ball. And uh, the girls have played great defense. They've just done a great job all game, following the game plan. And they come down. And this girl named uh, Taylor shot from above the foul line, which is about like full court for me and you. Um, she was dribbling and... You know, everybody's, Taylor, 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 Taylor. The air just went around, and she just goes, whoa, that ball. And it was just hit the backboard, hit the rim, boy, and went in the goal. Sunk, and it was 30-28. It's like, oh, my goodness, it's a God-ordained shot. Had to be, you know. And all the girls are like, coach, coach. I said, play defense, get back, you know. And so they're back there. And they go around that shot, and they missed, and we won the game. So we huddled up, and we were all cheered, and we put our hands in the middle, you know, like that, and. We were driving home, and I said, Bethany, if we won the game, that's great. I mean, this team that beat us so bad and humiliated us in one sense, we beat them. And she was just, you know, thrilled, and we were happy and talking about it. We got inside, and I was thinking, I said, Bethany, just pay never to give up, doesn't it? She goes, you're right, Dad. It would have been easier for that first game to say, man, our team stinks. We scored two points. And we can't run into people. They call them picks, but I couldn't get out of their way, you know. But instead, we said, you know what? We've got a good team. And, and we didn't give up. We didn't come down. We didn't go back. And it paid off. Now, that's trite. That analogy doesn't hold true in every form. I realize that. The point is this. Don't give up. What is God doing in your life? What work has he called you to? You'll experience opposition. Any strong vision has got a critic. We're going to have them here. We'll handle them boldly and insightfully, as we'll talk about next week. But I'll tell you what we won't do. We will not stop. We will not come down. We will not go back to Egypt. To all those in this community who want to stop and oppose, we are not stopping coming down or going back. We're here to stay. To preach the gospel of grace so that folks can be free in Christ.